Well, good morning. Praise God for that, huh? In a heartbeat. I was speaking a couple weeks ago at Fairhaven on uh, Easter Sunday, and um, the title of my message was, What If the Sun Didn't Rise? And uh, praise God he did, because can you imagine what life would be like if the Lord Jesus Christ didn't rise? But that wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians 15 was, God did rise. Praise God for that. We have a Lord that who loves us and is here with us today. And that's much to rejoice over for that. I'm afraid I'm at the age now where I've got to get my glasses on here before we get started. Like if you can turn your Bibles, please, to Psalm 46. Putting on my glasses reminds me of a story I just recently read about a man who went into the pulpit one Sunday morning wearing a pair of new bifocals. The reading portion of the glasses improved his vision considerably, but the top portion of the glasses didn't work so well. Maybe some of you can understand that. In fact, he was experiencing dizziness every time he looked through them. He explained to the congregation that the new glasses were causing problems. I hope you will excuse me continually removing my glasses. He said, you see, when I look down, I can see fine. But when I look at you, it makes me sick. I don't feel that way. <laughs> Psalm 46, I'd like us to consider the wonderful passage here, and then we're going to look at a New Testament true illustration of this passage of the truth of God being our refuge. Psalmist says, God is our refuge in strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Skip down to verse 10. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Praise God for his word. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, the question is, is just where do you turn? If you were to ask people that question, where do you turn in times of trouble? I'm sure depending on who your audience was and who you asked on that question, there might be a very varied answers to that. A refuge provides protection or shelter from danger or hardship. It is a haven or sanctuary, a place where one may go for help, relief. Or escape. We all seek a secure refuge from the daily harassments and stresses of life. I know we do. We all can understand the daily harassments and stresses that go on in life. It's interesting that there are false refuges. And when you think about it, some of the ways in which society seeks to deal with those and seeks the comfort is over-involvement, for example, in recreation or hobbies. Some people 
just seem to, and I know we understand this, but they seem to live for the weekend. I mean, it's just like on Monday they're already thinking about Friday. And they just want Saturday and Sunday, and then it's back on the treadmill again of Monday. So they, they're, they're thinking with an overemphasis of what they're going to be able to do in their recreation and leisure. And that's how they deal with some of the stresses and problems and harassments that go on in life. Some people pour all of their energies into their job. Some have a passionate, single-minded pursuit for acquiring possessions and material things. And no offense, some of the men are sure are just as guilty as some of the ladies in general, but shopping, for example, just a, this huge emphasis of wanting to sometimes shop. Our society puts such an emphasis on that. Looked at the morning paper today. You always on a Sunday section have so many ads, sales, 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 to buy more clothes, more clothes, more clothes. Some, through drugs and alcohol, just want to deal with numbing themselves like a tranquilizer of the different hassles and pressures and stresses in life. But for the believer this morning, you realize, and I realize, that there is only one refuge that provides personal and eternal protection and provision for our lives, and that's God himself. Verse 1 says it here in this Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength. Not kings, not nations, not politicians, not armies, not pensions, not even jobs or stock options or 401ks. Not those things, but God alone is our refuge. There's a scripture verse in the Psalms that says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. This is one of the wonderful, if you like, benefits of the very fact of the resurrection. Not only does that obviously prove the fact that the Father was satisfied with what the Son accomplished on the cross, that sin could in fact be forgiven if one would put their trust in the Lord Jesus. And now as we walk with Him, day by day, as believers, we have this wonderful um, assurance that the best assurance in all the world is to trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some have said, God is abundantly available for help in tight places. You know, when you're in that tight squeeze, God is abundantly available for help. And as they addressed him, when they saw him walking on the face of the earth, they said, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this is a marvelous thing that as a Christian today, if you're a believer this morning, you have this most awesome privilege, this most awesome dream that has come true, that you actually have the God of, of the Lords, of, or sorry, the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have that God walking with you, that you have access to, that the Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ in Hebrews is praying for us. He's interceding for us. And as it was prayed and mentioned in the opening prayer that Jim prayed, that we have a God who's just so interested and concerned with our very lives that he knows everything that's going on in our lives. God with us. There's a song that I was listening to this week by a wonderful Christian group, Mercy Me. And there was a line that said, No matter how hard things may get, there is a God who will never leave us nor forsake us. 
And, of course, he was quoting that from the passage in Hebrews 13. That we come and go. People come in our lives. We come into people's lives. We sometimes have the best intentions, but we don't sometimes follow through and aren't as faithful in sticking by each other as we can be. And yet we have a God who promises to never leave us or forsake us. And that is why he is, says in verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A young girl was asked to recite Psalm 23, and she said when she was quoting this verse, and I know you love scripture memory here, which is a wonderful thing, and it's great to see as a church that emphasis. And when she was quoting and reciting Psalm 23, verse 1, she said, The Lord is my shepherd. He is all I want. That's how she remembered the verse. It's not quite right, but it's actually very accurate and truthful. He is all I want. Can you say this morning that when it really comes down to it and you strip it all away, that Jesus is all that I need. He's all that I need. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For why? For thou art with me. You know, there's a lot of people in life that I'll never have an opportunity, I'm sure, that I'll ever get close to. There's a lot of powerful people in this world that Randy White and that person isn't probably ever going to connect here on earth. It just isn't going to happen. And yet we have this brilliant, brilliant promise in the scripture that we have a God who says he'll be with us. And can you imagine, when you just think of verse 1, you're reading it here today, and I'm sure you've read this verse many, many, many times. Probably some of you know it by memory. Can you think of over the, the years, all the years, of the countless number of people who've been blessed and ministered to by this very verse 1? Hearts that have been raised as people have read and meditated on that verse, a very present help in trouble. And you and I can understand as we define and we think of trouble what that is. For some of us, obviously, it means sickness. That's trouble as far as how we would think of it or mourning, suffering, and tragedy. I was talking to a lady at work a couple of days ago and she started, she pulled me aside in the uh, break room and she said, can I ask you a question? I need your advice on something. And over the course of a few minutes, she just began to share her, the struggles that are going on in her marriage. And to be honest with you, it's, it's, it's vast, it's deep, it's no two-minute session is going to resolve the crisis in this marriage. And I really didn't have the time to do that, and she asked a very specific question that, that I answered, but I said, you need to read Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and to pour out to him, pour out to him everything that's going on. And even though right now it seems utterly impossible humanly speaking, that this is ever going to be resolved between this man and woman. Pour it out to him. He's a present help in trouble. When you think of this, you think of what's the worst that occur, could occur to you and I today? What could, what could occur in our lives? And that's why the psalmist says, look at verse 2. He says, therefore, we will not fear. You know, the Bible, I think it's over 366 times. God tells us in the Old and the New Testament... In one way, shape, or form, he tells us, do not fear. And if he tells us that 366 times, I believe he knows that we need to hear that every day. And there's probably one day we need to hear it twice. 
because even though some of us maybe don't want to really admit it, even for us, you know, macho men here, we do fear. We have lots of different fears. Some of them are, are very hidden. Some of them we are willing to confess and, and admit in select groups that we feel safe with. But all of us can understand the tendency to fear. And so the psalmist says, therefore, because God is with us, he's a very present help in trouble. Therefore, do not fear, though the earth should change. And though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. And even if that's just referring only, and if we think about physically what is going to happen, and this in the context of Psalm 46, there's some definite references to the tribulation period, and I'm not going to go there so much this morning at all. But think of the symbolic mention of that, if, if there's some symbolic truth to that as well. Mountains as symbols of empires or cities, And waters, if you like, as nations. The very foundation of our society as we know it today, it's crumbling, isn't it? It's crumbling before our very eyes. I know everything wasn't perfect back in the 1920s, and mind you, I wasn't there. But from what I've heard, the 1920s and the 30s and the 40s, there were their fair share of problems. But when you think of what's happening in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and in this period now that we're in, When you think of what's going on over the world, if you are that kind of person that likes to read U.S. News and World Report, or you listen to the radio or television, and you see what's happening on this globe, we realize as Christians that God is in control. We know that. That doesn't change no matter what's happening. But we see the fact of what the nature and what the consequences of sin are doing in this culture and society as we know it. It's intensifying, isn't it? It seems to be intensifying all over the world. Confusion. We don't have to say much about, you know, as I come over the hill in Castor Valley and I come down toward Highway 580, I always get a good look at the Bay Area from that viewpoint. And I often, you know, on a beautiful day like today, you see San Francisco. And you see this beautiful city as far as when you can see the bridge and you can see the buildings. And it's a very beautiful city. And it's the way it has been and how it is on it as a peninsula. And it's just its geography, the hills the rolling fog that blows in. But you just think about what's going on in that city as far as sin. And the pace that that city is kind of leading in many ways in the nation at the forefront. I have a friend who works for San Francisco PD, and he tells me some of the stuff that's going on, some of the scuttlebutt. And it absolutely shocks me of what is going on in in respect to the whole area of homosexuality, for example, and how many people in places, in high places of power, are uh, professing homosexuals. An actual abandonment of, of God's truth. And the tendency is, is when you watch what's happening there, and we know about all the stuff about marriage and gay marriage, and then you watch what's going on in the news in Iraq and all the sorrow and the sadness, the tendency is maybe, in one sense, is to become fearful and become despairing And the psalmist says, do not do that. Rejoice that God is with you and that you still can trust in him. Because he says, there is a river, verse 4, whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High. I love this verse. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. 
The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Many great cities have rivers that flow through them. That's not something that we can relate to here in in San Ramon. But many great cities over the world have rivers that flow through them. And they sustain, that water sustains people's lives by making agriculture possible and it facilitates trade with other cities. That's the historical content of what he's saying here. Jerusalem had no river. But here's what it had. It had God who, like a river, sustained the lives of the people. And we can understand that today, can't we? That he is the fountain of life. And I'll tell you, I enjoy, like you do, refreshment. We all need, and God knows, we need refreshment. But there is no one who provides the kind of refreshment like the Lord provides. He is able to sustain the weary soul. And you know when you have been in times of trouble and you have been downhearted and you've been discouraged, depressed, those moments where maybe even brought to tears over whatever's going on in your life and you bring it to the Lord and you have that time with Him, that quiet moment, that quiet time with Him in His Word, and you're revived, you're refreshed. And it's a wonderful thing. As long as God lives among the people, the city was invincible. Attacks were generally launched against cities at dawn. And it would allow back in this time for the entire day to be for battle. And what the psalmist is saying here is that God always arrives on time to help. At the break of day, just as the battle would have been starting. And there's a wonderful passage of that that really brings that out that I want us to look at where God arrived on time in a situation that the disciples were going through. He arrived just at the nick of time, at the right time to help them. And I'd like you to turn, if you would, and you can keep your finger in Psalm 46, but to go to John chapter 6. When I think of the Lord and his purposes and his plans and his timing, you know, I think, of, for example, of John 11 and how he was told, member of Lazarus, and of course... They wanted him there right away so that he wouldn't die, right? Remember that? And the Lord held on. And through human eyes, we'd wonder, why was he late? Why, Why did he do that? Remember what he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And of course, we know from John 11, the marvelous miracle that was performed. He rose Lazarus from the dead. And in John chapter 6, the disciples experienced something that would certainly frighten us. John chapter 6, verse 16. It says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. And it had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. I don't know if when you read that, and as I read that, that's kind of a scary phrase, isn't it? Jesus had not yet come to them. They were caught in the storm, as it says in verse 18, and the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Now, as you picture this situation, it's night, 
The Lord is not with them physically. And they're in the middle of a storm. And they were caught up in the storm of the, of the not yet. And the interesting thing is, is Mark chapter 6, you don't need to turn to this, but when you read the account of Mark chapter 6 in this, Jesus, it says, commanded them and told them to go. To go into the boat. You think about that for a minute and you say, that's interesting. They did exactly what Jesus said to do. They, as the song we sang today, they trusted and they obeyed. But look what happened. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. You know, it's one thing to suffer for doing wrong, isn't it? We, we can understand that. Either if it's happened to us or if it happens to somebody we know. We understand suffering for doing wrong. But it's another thing, isn't it, when you suffer for doing right? And in this context, as you read Mark chapter 6 account, they did right. They obeyed the Lord and went into that boat while he stayed, it said, on the shore. Surely, and you can understand this, you suffer. I have suffered at times for doing right. I don't know if it replies to anyone here, but just ask the faithful couple whose crib is empty and whose womb is barren. Just ask the student who took a stand for the truth and got mocked. Just ask the wife who took a chance and forgave her husband for infidelity only to be betrayed again. Someone has said, winds blow, the boat bounces, and the disciples wonder. Why the storm? And a very significant question that we would be tempted to ask is, and where is Jesus? Where is he when that's happening? It's one thing to be in the storm, whatever that storm is that conjures up in your mind. It's another thing, if you were in the disciples' shoes, to actually then have to also admit the truth and the fact that I'm alone. He's not there. It says in verse 19, if you look at John 6, it says, When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they beheld Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. Imagine that. Imagine that scene, the drama of that. But before Jesus walked on the water, how many times did they call? Do you wonder how many times did they cry out looking, looking for the Lord? If they could see him in the dark, where is he? Where is he? Why did it take so long? Mark 6:48 says that he saw his followers struggling. Through that night and through that storm, he saw them. But in his infinite Wisdom and that knowledge that he has, he waited until the right time and the right moment to reveal his presence to them. It says in Mark chapter, um, in the Mark chapter 6, that it was at the fourth watch 
when he appeared. And you know, you might be saying, you know, Lord, why, why not the third watch? Why not the second watch? Why not the first watch? Why, why the delay? Like the question that Mary asked of where was he when Lazarus died? Why didn't you come sooner? Why don't you answer this prayer with all due respect, Lord? Why don't you answer this faster? Why don't you reveal yourself more clearly to me what it is you want me to do? What your will is. Why does he allow sickness to linger? Why does he allow someone to go unemployed? Why does he wait until the other side of the grave? Sometimes to answer the prayers for healing. One thing we know of this, and this is true of our God, Luke 18.7 says that God, it's in the context of the parable of the, of the widow, the persistent willow, widow, I'm sorry. And he says this in the, in the parable, he says, Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? The thing that you and I have to, to cling to and to wrap our arms around today is, is that we have a God who's just. He never, ever, ever does anything that's wrong. He never, ever has missed it and forgotten or made a mistake or done something that we would ever have reason to actually question him for and say, you know what? On second thought, you know, as I'm kind of looking back on this, Lord, you, you should have done it this way. No one, it says in the scriptures, can, is his counselor. He's an omnipotent God who knows exactly what he's doing because he's omniscient. He has these wonderful qualities. And though you hear nothing, brothers and sisters, today, whatever you may be going through, he is speaking. And though you see nothing, whatever your situation is, he's acting. And someone has said, and this is so true, every incident. Think about this. If you, if you get this, this, these next seven or so words I'm going to say to you, if you get this, it's going to change your entire outlook and attitude about how you deal with times of trouble. Every incident is intended to bring us closer to him. If you think about every incident that, goes, that you go through in your life, that the big goal in all of this is that God wants you to get closer to him in everyday fellowship. That his desire is not that you have a life that's independent from him, but a life that more and more and more is dependent on him. Looking to him for everything that happens from the start of your day and praising him when you lay your head down at night on your pillow. We have a God who knows exactly what he's doing. And I think about in the crossing of the Red Sea, after he had uh, delivered them so wonderfully from Pharaoh. And they were out in the desert and they were going ahead. Exodus chapter 14. And all of a sudden they come to the Red Sea and they, they, they stop. They, where, how do they cross that? But then they've got the Egyptians coming behind them. And they've got the mountain range on one side. And they've got the desert on the other. And it seems that God has led them into an impossible situation where they really don't know where to turn. And if you're familiar with the account in Exodus chapter 14, he brings them marvelously and miraculously through that and how he separated the waters. And when the Egyptians came, the waters came back over. A wonderful, true account of what God did in delivering them from impossible situations. One who was very much a present help in times of trouble. There's a story of two uh, Mastros, and I hope I'm pronouncing that word right. I meant to ask my wife, who helps me sometimes in my pronunciation of words, 
who were attending a concert to hear this promising young soprano. And one commented on the purity of her voice, and the other responded, yes, but she'll sing better once her heart is broken. There are certain times, isn't there? We don't, we don't really, deep, deep down, probably desire them and wish for them and pray for them. But there are certain times when God, knowing that, allows us to endure the pain for the sake of the song. And you say, you know, when I'm going through this, what is Jesus doing? John or Mark 6, verse 46 says, on this account of this situation of him being there for the disciples in the storm, says that after he left them, when he told them to go, it says that he went up on a mountain to pray. Jesus was praying for them. And Hebrews 7 tells us, and 1 John tells us today, that right now, one of the ministries of the Lord Jesus Christ is he's interceding for you. You know, you and I appreciate people who, who not only say they'll pray for us, but who really do. And the Lord Jesus Christ today is praying for each of you here. Faithfully. You think, well, who am I? How, how could he do this? Why would he do this? He's a faithful God who loves you and is incredibly concerned about the affairs of your life. He went to the cross for you. And he wants to see you and he, he wants to see you well. He wants to see you close to him. He wants to see you um, making it through on this earth until you go to heaven. He's not going to abandon us. And what are we to do while the Lord Jesus is praying? What do we do when we're in those times of trouble, times of struggle? In Mark chapter 6, the account, it says that they kept on rowing. Our verse 19 said, When therefore they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw the Lord Jesus. But you and I need to keep on rowing in life. And you say, what do you mean by that? And I mean, it's really kind of the, 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 the mundane of life, isn't it? The getting out of bed. The fixing the meals. Doing your homework if you're a student. Paying the bills. Continuing on faithfully in the routine and the regular of what God has called you to do. And trusting at the same time while you do what you're to do, the Lord Jesus Christ is certainly doing what he's called to do. And that's to pray and to help us out and to be with us. If you go back to Psalm 46, verse 7. The psalmist says, The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Psalm 62, Psalmist, my salvation and my honor depend on God. It's nothing of works in there. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you say, I wonder how I can get to know Him. There's nothing of works. There's nothing that you can do. Psalm 62, my salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Brothers and sisters, 
the psalmist says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. There's a hymn that I'm sure some of you may know it. I don't, but it's, I, I like the words of it. it. says this, the hymn writer said, How often in conflict when pressed by the foe, I have fled to my refuge and breathed out my woe. How often when trials like sea billows roll, have I, have I hidden in thee, O thou rock of my soul. You know, brothers and sisters, as I conclude, you know, I'm just thinking of that game that I remember hearing this illustration, and I'm sure many of you, how many of you used to play hide-and-go-seek? As a, There you go. Yeah, good number of you. I, I didn't ask how many of you are still playing hide-and-go-seek, but <laughs> how, many of you have, how many of you played it? You know what it's like. It was always exciting, wasn't it, to find that safe hiding place while the person was there counting against the tree. You know, what hasn't changed is as grown-ups, we still tend to look for places, don't we, that we can hide. The reality is, is as far as when it comes to the problem with life is, we just can't disappear, can we? Or for that matter, if we can't disappear, we can't just make, like that, our problems disappear. But how encouraging it is to know that in the midst of absolute turmoil, our spirit can seek the hiding place and be secure in the knowledge that our lives are hidden with Christ in God, our true refuge. And just remember, brothers and sisters, and I say this to myself as well, remember at the right time, God comes in the right way, in the right way he appears. He's too wise to forget you and loves you and I too much to ever do anything to hurt us. So, don't lay down the oars. Keep on rowing. And at the same time, remember Psalm 46, verse 10, that knowing the balance, also to cease striving. Be still while you're doing what you have to do and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Keep on rowing, brothers and sisters. And remember, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Lord, we want to thank you so much that it is true that you are a present help in times of trouble. I want to thank you, Lord, for your presence in our lives. I want to thank you so much that you are the God who cares for us and loves us today. Lord, you are magnificent. You are glorious. We bless your name and we ask that you just would help us to remember when we go through times of trial and trouble that to pour out our hearts before you and to trust in your unfailing love. Thank you that you are the God of Jacob. We bless your name and ask for you to bless the rest of our day together. In Jesus' name, amen.